radical look at Scotland's history with Stuart McHardy. Part 2. Megaliths and Manners. To date, the earliest evidence of human occupation in Scotland comes from Howburn Farm near Bigger. Here, a scatter of flint tools and artefacts has been dated to around 14,000 years ago. Until this find, it was thought there were no people here till several thousand years later, though it is likely that any population at that time shrank back again in the many ice age that lasted for a thousand years from 11,000 BC. What this does show is that new finds can be made and that old ideas can change rapidly in the face of new evidence. It's generally agreed that the first few thousand years of human occupation here that all the people were nomadic or semi-nomadic hunter-gatherers. It follows seasonal food supplies and much of our early archaeology is focused on activities at the coasts where there's an abundance of shellfish to provide food. However, it is worth considering just how these people lived. Any society dependent on seasonal foodstuffs has to develop sophisticated awareness of and interrelationship with the physical environment. In many societies around the world, hunter-gatherers have been using a range of techniques like burning back to enhance the yield of plant foods. And this is in fact a form of farming. It's not that long ago that the excavation of a complex site in Anatolia in modern Turkey showed that the monumental site there, Gobekli Tepe, was raised while the population were still nomadic, before there were any settled communities in the area. This is of interest because it shows an involvement in the environment that was previously not considered likely or even possible. How people here chose their original sites for the raising of monuments is not known, but what is becoming clear is that people responded in a variety of ways to the physical environment. Some significantly shaped hills became the focus of monument construction from more than 5,000 years ago, and many of them have stories and place names that show them to have been the focus of belief systems. Given that we know people were here for thousands of years before the first monuments were raised, we should also consider whether the chosen sites for monuments were already established in terms of both belief and ritual. When we come from some of our most complex megalithic sites, we find evidence that points towards specific belief and practices. At Kalanish, for instance, much has been made in recent times of the fact that the monument seems to focus on the phenomenon where the moon stands still. This is the period when, every 18.6 years, the moon reaches its furthest west setting point, after which it begins to move back east. Now, the development of archaeoastronomy over the past 50 years has helped increase our understanding of how such monuments function. It is worth remembering that the people who raised the cruciform structure of Kalanish did so over 5,000 years ago. Into the 19th century, it was still remembered that a local family had the honour of raising the Beltane Need Fire at the centre of the complex, and this seems quite likely to have been continuous since the first erection of the stones. There is also a traditional story here of some being walking up the central Southern Avenue at midsummer, emphasising the solar aspect of the monument. Similarly, 
Nassau Brodger in Orkney, the circles of Brodger and Stennis, were still being called the circles of the sun and moon in the late 17th century. Local tradition passed down only retained factually accurate information about both sites. The same process was shown remarkably at the Nessa Brodger recently. During a television programme about the stones, experiments were carried out to try and figure out how people moved the megaliths, some of which weighed several tonnes. Various techniques were tried with limited success till a local man stepped forward and said that he'd always been told that the people had slid the great stones on seaweed. So this was tried and worked perfectly well. A piece of local knowledge, not considered anything special, solved a major archaeological riddle, and that knowledge had come down through oral tradition. As the extent of the sophistication of the Nessa Brodger site slowly becomes clearer, it begins to look as if the world-famous circles of Brodger and Stennis may be only a small part of the story here. It is likely that the stone building Structure 8, familiarly known as the Cathedral, may have been the largest stone building in the world at the time of its erection, and this, in a group of islands off the northern coast of our country, suggesting that the prehistory of Europe is in need of major revision. The fact that Scotland's major megalithic areas, Kilmartin, Callanish and Brodgar, are all on the western sea route off our coasts is clear, but much more remains to be discovered. To return to Callanish, the focus on the moon's standstill, was something shared with other stone circles and stone settings, but it brings in another aspect that was apparently part of ancient belief, maybe more correctly, pre-Christian belief. This is the fact that the range of hills behind which the standstill occurs, looking from the circle, has a specific name, Caich Namontich. This is usually translated as the old woman of the moors, but there is more to the term Caich or Caich than its modern meaning of an old woman. Throughout Scotland we have hills and mountains named after the Calliach, and in many cases we have stories that survive of her. She is associated with mountains like Ben Nevis, Ben Wivis, Ben Cruachan, and Shehalian. And as the Ben Nevis story tells us, she is often portrayed as the bringer of winter. Her very name, Calliach, meaning the veiled or covered one, is a fitting description for many of our mountains through much of the year and seems quite right for a supernatural being who is said to have brought winter onto the land. This belief is reflected in stories from many places, and apart from the great massives, she is also linked with several hills like those in Glencoe and on Skye, which are directly called after her, but also with places like the Corrie Vrecken Whirlpool. This major geophysical event between the islands of Jura and Scarba is the third biggest whirlpool on the planet, and an ancient story is very closely linked with Kayach. In some cases, the whirlpool even being said to be her breathing. She's associated with a whole range of mountains and hilltops, some of which are crowned with structures that nowadays are known to be a lot more than forts. Many such sites with locations or ritual gatherings often involving fire at specific points of the year, and in many cases, such activities are recorded well into the 19th century. Even today, some of our mountains are the sites of midsummer pilgrimages, where local people are apparently following in the footsteps of their ancestors. The kayak is the name of the supernatural female in Gaelic, and in Scots tradition, 
she survives as the Carlin, or Geyer Carlin, who in various stories and poems like the kayak is said to have created certain aspects of the landscape. Often hills, but including lochs and rivers. A number of kayak and Carlin place names often associated with ancient monuments attest to how widespread stories of her were. As a landscape maker, weather worker, and as in many tales, the oldest living being. We can see something of a goddess figure, and though we must be careful of imposing our ideas of what religion is on the past, she certainly seems to be in the focus of a belief system. It also seems clear that, this being the case, this idea probably arrived with the first settlers who grafted their own ancient beliefs into their new environment. That the ancient monuments such as chamber tombs were raised with an awareness of solar and lunar alignments is manifestly clear, something common in many other societies. That they were raised communally is also obvious, and that many of them were the focus of ritual activities at significant times of the year cannot be argued. What also seems clear is that in some way they related to a wide belief system, but at the same time, given that so many involve burials, they also reflect a respect, if not a reverence, for the ancestors, those who had gone before and paved the way for contemporary society. To date, there have only been two apparent goddess figures found in Scotland, one from Balahulish and the other from West Rhianotney. In our association with so many ancient monuments, mountains and hills, we can perhaps still discern something of an ancient mythology that underpinned the beliefs and behaviour of our own direct ancestors. Next time, we'll look at the early peoples of Scotland. More information and further reading can be found at www.stuartmchandy.com wordpress.com